Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best panels pertaining to RPG design and publishing. This has been made possible by Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Now to the show! Episode 46 Least System Necessary Recorded at Metatopia 2014 Presented by Rob Donahue, Cam Banks, Stephen Hood, and Clark Valentine. to our panel uh, for the recording audience. Uh, I will introduce the whole thing. Um, this is the least system necessary uh, discussion of all the things you don't need to do uh, to design your own playing game. I'm Robert Donahue of Evil Hat. Uh, blog a little bit. I've freelanced a little bit. Uh, nice. Sure. Uh, I'm Stephen Hood. I'm uh, the founder of Storium, which is an online storytelling game heavily influenced by pre-teas and story games. Uh, I am Clark Valentine. I do uh, a lot of freelance work for uh, Alright, I'm going to establish a couple touch points just for conversation purposes. Who here is familiar with Rysis? Okay, Rysis. Okay, uh, then I'll give the quick summary. Uh, Rysis is a role-playing game by S. John Ross uh, that is approximately four pages long, uh, is entirely playable, is fantastic and awesome, and many, many D6-based games are based off of it. The entirety of the rules that you need to know are that you get ten dice and you get to distri- uh, distribute them among a number of cliches. So you could be Ninja 3D, Soldier 4D, Pastry Chef 3D. Um, and you... When you do something, you pick the appropriate cliche, you roll that many dice, and rolling high is good. There are a few odds and end rules, like damage is resulting in you losing dice, so if you want to really min-max, then you roll ninja for a bit, and once you've used up your ninja dice, you switch over to soldier. Um, And of course, it has the rule of funny, which is the more ludicrous the skill application is, the more potent it is. So if you use hairdresser in combat and succeed, it does triple damage. (laughs) <laughs> um, and that is the bulk of the rules of Rysis. Um, it is my yardstick for a very simple game. Uh, I'm going to mention one or two others. Just, and I'm just going through these not because uh, we're going to be talking about them at length, but just so when I reference them or when they come up in conversation, everyone's got a little context. Uh, how many people here are familiar with Fate Accelerator? Uh, okay, I don't think I need to talk about that one so much then. Um, I'll say just for anyone listening at home, Fate Accelerator is a greatly streamlined version of Fate. Uh, Rather than having skills, it is basically just a list of approaches, the ways you go about doing things. Are you going to do things quickly? Are you going to do things in a flashy fashion? Those have modifiers. You roll, and you try to do well. You also have aspects. And boy, if an aspect helps you, then you can spend a point, you get a bonus. And if an aspect gets in your way, then you can accept a point for it making your life difficult. There, that's fair. Um, and I will round it out with the warp system, which you probably have not necessarily heard of in that term. Um, yes, but that is the system used in Over the Edge, which is one of the 
finest game and most influential games ever, which if you are unfamiliar with. Uh, it is very similar to Rises, except instead of just having cliches, you get to pick one really broad thing that's 2D or 2 dice or 3 dice, and two narrow things, which are 2 dice or 3 dice, and you have hit points. Because for some godforsaken reason, that's hit points. And that's basically the extent of that game. I've just explained to you the vast majority of three entire role-playing systems. This is mostly to illustrate that you do not need to have a very big system to cover things. Now, we'll start getting into what that means for your design. As I take a moment to allow the last member of the panel who has just come in with a sparkling, sparkling drink to introduce himself. Sparkle. Sparkle. I'm Cam Banks, and I'm late. <laughs> I'd make the joke that I'd made that for Jason earlier. Um, anyway, so let me lay out the thesis. Most of the time, someone sets out to make a role-playing game, they fill it up with things that they think are supposed to be in a role-playing game. You're supposed to have an equipment chapter. You're supposed to have skill lists and feats and spells. And There's a lot that goes in that does not need to be there that's put in by habit because it's what we are used to seeing. And, and for other reasons, like the fact that we're trying to pad page count that is not necessarily the case. Uh, and I'll start rambling when you're like, uh, the way in before I... Um, Alright. <laughs> <laughs> you're clearly going somewhere with this. Well, no, I mean, that was, I'm laying the foundation. Laying the foundation. Um, can, I, can I touch briefly on that idea of the um, word count thing? Totally. But this is the, the, the enemy of the best uh, basic simple rule systems is someone who needs to pay the rent. Right? Because uh, unless you have somehow managed to fill your book up with setting and scenarios and adventures and character examples and so forth, then your system won't take up a lot of space and therefore you suddenly go, well, I, I can't pay much for this. Exactly. Racist may be one of the best games out there, but at four pages, it's a good thing he gives it away for free because people wouldn't pay for it, despite the fact that it's got value, because they don't perceive a value to it. Now we find a way around that, because there's a racist companion out there, which is like 64 pages you can buy for a couple bucks, uh, but that's the kind of thing you end up doing. Yeah, and part of the reason why uh, Warp has been extricated from Over the Edge is because the real good stuff in Over the Edge is the setting anyway, right? Um, it's, it, we love the rules, right? But oh, absolutely, but that's not what's distinctive yeah. about Over the Edge. And you may have noticed there is not some huge influx of warp-powered gaming on the market because no one has grabbed it and taken it and made it their friend forever. Um, however, if we had said Over the Edge is now open, it would be like a firestorm of people going crazy. Yep. So it's not just about free, right? Oh no, it's about ease and it's about a whole bunch of things. I think it's it's worth talking a bit about the difference between least system necessary and least system preferable. Sure. Because I know that as a GM, I like a really streamlined, dare I say, rules light system, something that will get out of the way and let me run the game. Uh, but as a player, I tend to prefer having some mechanical knobs and fiddles and, 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 and levers that I can grab hold of 
to manipulate the story rather than just improv. And, and that's you're not alone in that. Um, so let's let me let me start with the way of premise. I think we're all on board with the thesis that that games often have too much stuff. So here's the first rule to look at. A lot of the time you can get a bot get by with one rule that resolves everything. Um, the example that I'm using is let's use Rises. Hey, I have one rule that tells me what dice I roll and that I want to roll high. That's the rule. And for a vast array of situations, that's all I need. But not every situation. And where this becomes a conversation is when we start looking at it going, well, where does that one rule fail? Maybe it's because I've got a genre that I want to simulate, and that's not a really satisfying way to do Kung Fu. Um, maybe I want stories to sort of unfold in a certain direction, and so maybe I want to have a few different ways to, to resolve things. But asking that question forces me to ask the more critical question of, what is it my game's really here to do anyway? Anybody have examples? I'll cheerfully keep rambling, so please jump in. Quick, take the mic. <laughs> but uh, so Ken Hyde actually had something said something uh, during one of our earlier panels that I think is very on the mark for this um, that your game is about the things you privilege. Um, the James Bond game, which he was using as an example for this, basically has rules for car chases, breaking into places, fighting uh, fighting people, and seduction, and. If you have rules for those four things, you have everything you need to play a James Bond game. There are no rules for hacking. That's not to say you couldn't do hacking in a James Bond game, but that's not what a James Bond game really is. Um, this does not mean that these rules need to be spectacular. This does not mean that these rules need to be the most perfect rules. Just saying that these are the things I'm going to apply rules to is a statement. Now, um, we should also talk about the fact that rules could be more than just what we consider rules being normally, like, you know, well, like two dice plus eight. Yes, but that is a good point, and that is where we get into the other model that makes this even more clear. Um, and uh, it's almost as if there was someone from Story in here that this is going to lead up to. Um, yes. But uh, the other model of play that is well worth experimenting with you've never done so, is of course Diceless. Um, Cam and I both have played a lot of Amber Diceless, which has recently re-emerged uh, in, as a system in Lords of Gossamer and Shadow, which is a fun little game in its own way. Um, and Diceless play teaches you a lot of interesting lessons and makes you somewhat skeptical about what the rules are there for. Because ultimately, Diceless play is some way of figuring out what's going to happen next without consulting anything except maybe who's got a higher stat. And that higher stat seems really important when you're thinking about the game and when you're, you're designing you're writing it down. And then after you've been playing for a while, you discover exactly how much of what's going on is actually you dealing with other people, uh, which is daunting and off-putting when you think other people are kind of making uh, But that's, that is unfortunately very much reality. And this is, this is an interesting lesson that has spilled over to a lot of GMless play. A lot of the microscopes and quest lambias and stuff are sort of recognizing that the real resolution mechanism here is people interacting with people that, 
that's that's where we got a pretty commercial path. So the question really is, in any given game in play, what happens next? And boy, you know, if people were having to get online and you know write you know blocks of text and have to answer that question, how do you think that helped them? <laughs> yeah, so, so Story of it is an online storytelling game that is diceless. It has a lot of RPG-inspired, story-game-inspired mechanics, but it doesn't have any dice. And when we first we first started it, it had a different name. We actually called it a role-playing game. Uh, the question was like, where are the dice? You know, when, when will you support System X, right? Because I want to play my Pathfinder game or whatever. Um, and uh, we needed some people actually yeah. ask about fate. Telling stories? Why would we do that? Yeah. You know what? Okay, I love faith, but there, there are times when it's not the right answer to the problem. <coughs> Just say that right now. Yeah, so I mean, when we, we changed it and we we stopped calling it an RPG, the questions about the dice went away, which is kind of interesting. Awesome. <laughs> like, we didn't change any mechanics, we just, like, changed what we called stuff, and they stopped asking for dice, which I was like, phew, because there's no dice in this game. Uh, there won't be. Um, and we have instead of uh, cards, virtual playing cards, and the cards are sort of like your narrative currency. And you, you collect these cards through play, and you spend them to influence the story. And that's how you know what happens next, because... You basically, your cards win you the right to take the microphone from the GM, actually, and say, yeah, I did kick his ass, and here's what it looks like. Here's what happens next. Um, and so that's how the flow happens in the story. I mean, uh, I mean there's some, there's definitely some amber there, um, and a bunch of other stuff. There's a fiasco there as well. And so the thing that this sets up is, is possibly the most interesting element about these things. All of these things we're talking about, these simple resolutions, these doing it with one roll, these doing it with just comparing values, or who's got the currency, are all totally playable. But none of us really want to do just that, at least in our, our tabletop play, because there is always something that that does not reflect well enough. Um, and what that thing is is totally going to vary from game to game. But let's take D&D as an example. Um, D&D, we want to have our fights be exciting and fun and engaging and have a sense of risk and have a sense of using up resources and we want we want certain things. And just having a, let's go back to the very basics. At some point, we'll flip a coin and see who wins. That's unsatisfying. Okay, well, uh, maybe uh, we'll roll a die and the high roll wins. Well, that's the same thing. All right, we'll roll a die, but the person who's a fighter can roll a bigger die. All right, I guess that's a little bit better, but I'm still not getting the cool back and forth. And you start adding more and more edge cases until you get to that point where the system feels a little bit closer to what you're looking for. Um, and that's great. That's actually good. Because while we're talking about the least system you need, the least system you need may actually be a lot of system. But it requires turning a harsh eye to things and saying, all right, we've put in this really cool combat system. It totally makes for awesome sword fights. It's really, really satisfying for that. And we've got this charisma reaction system that we've built while we're doing this. And it's a piece of crap. But we got to have it, right? No, because you got to kill the show. I'm sorry, I'm running a little bit, a little bit late. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked and terrified by this. I, I know, I'm so mellow and understated in these things. So this is the writer's comment of Kill the Darlings, right? So this is the idea that there are some things that you really, really like, but ultimately the thing will be better if you 
killed it dead and chopped it off and burned it out. Yep. Now, okay, yeah, just always remember this is not the last game you will ever make. There's always another game for you to put that little subsystem that doesn't fit, that doesn't have a purpose in the current game you're working on. There will be a time when you can use that. And this will be a problem. Well, then you have a bigger problem. Sorry, right now. But here's where I'm going to contradict myself. Oh, and illustrate something that, that, that is also very much tied to the way Storing does stuff. For all that I was just talking about, having a, having that combat be very unsatisfying, Cam and I can do a fantastic dice and sword fight like this one. We're not going to because that would take time and, and we'd get far too many down. But it would be very easy for me to pull out the sword and throw it into the chair in, in Cam's face and come at him at, with, a, with a sword at a high line. I mean, I would jump off the side here and come my arms over my head and go, no, no, don't hit me while I drag out my own sword and really just knock it up. And while you're trying to draw it, kick the table on you, and while it's trying, while you're trying to recover it, I well, jump people, down and kick People are fleeing left, right, and center, wondering what the hell's happened here in Metatopia, and I jump on the table over the thing, and I say, ha you didn't realize I had the sword, did you? And I would be taken aback momentarily, but I would step out of the range that you're swinging, and I would grab my bottle and throw it at your head and try to create an opening. I completely overreach with my sword, stab into the wall, and go, ow, my head, as I hit it with the bottle. We could go at this for a while, and the bottom line would be, we might somewhere in here consult some stats that say one of us is the better sword guy than the other, and we take into account some of the logic of what we've been doing and doing something clever, and we come to some conclusion where Cam gets hurt a little bit, but gets away, and I'm looking awesome. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never buys a warfare, so you can suck it. <laughs> it's okay. When I get down outside the hallway, I just make your mind melt. You're going to Trump, Trump attack me afterwards, yes. Um, but the point is, that works because Cam and I have a shared understanding. Um, we have, and this is easiest to do in terms of describing a fight scene because this plays within the space of physics. We both got a swing. Neither of us are, are experienced swordsmen or anything like that. We've got enough shared language to talk through how a sword fight should work. And the same thing would be true of a car chase or something that exists within our, our normal shared experience of day-to-day existence. The same would also be true, in fact, if he made a Trump attack on me. We could go through this. Now, I'm saying a Trump attack, and a bunch of you are like, I don't even know what the hell that is. It's a thing from the Amber books. You look at a magic card and fry my brain. Um, it's so easy. Exactly. <laughs> but since we both know those books very well, and we know those stories very well, we can play along with that without needing any rules to make the, the, the biggest problem I think with this sort of idea and it's the level of shared understanding and trust is very important, right? Because if you are the kind of person who does not like losing in games ever, this is not a good thing. Well, that's, that's true. That's a negotiation. But the point is, and this is where we come to the story of the, and the writing, right? you don't need the mechanics for the sword fighting or the, or the magic or that if the understanding exists in the fiction or in the storytelling or in things like that. And that's part of I mean, you guys set up more premises and stuff than you. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of context that comes yeah. with it to help that's help you have that shared understanding. Yeah. But I'm curious, do you guys think that um, uh, do you think that there's a player skill level issue here too? Yes. Yeah, not only do you guys know yeah. the context, you're pretty skilled players. Like is a simpler rule system harder actually in a paradoxical it, way? Yes. Can it be? Yeah. Absolutely. It's um, not much of a crush, right? Yeah. Not, and I say crush being something that is not enough support yeah. for a thing yeah. that you don't know what well, to if, because, because if there's a miscommunication between the two of us, it will escalate and it will get worse and worse. 
and we will, and it will result in a disconnect, it will result in play going badly. There are techniques that we have explicitly learned over time for doing this. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's an online play technique of literally ending a sentence with an ellipsis. Um, because you are not, because a, a new player comes in and says, I swing my sword and chop your head off. And the old player goes, no, 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 hang on. That's, that's not what happens. You swing your sword and try to chop my head off, and I parry it and, and dance back a little bit, and then I do something, and I leave an opening for you to act and respond. I don't tell you what the outcome is. But, but, and I can say that because Cam and I learned that lesson a million times over, but that's a hard instinct to pick up. So, Jason? Um, I was just going to say, so were you not just playing Amber? Borderline. Just now? I would argue that by following the procedures, following the techniques, those are the system of Amber. And well, they're the system of a number of games. No, no they're, they're not. not. This, here's the reason why this wasn't, okay? okay. Because in Amber, you would know who would win eventually. Yep. And in addition, I'm actually bringing in a lot of mush in right. exchange. Right. Right. Um, which is a whole other thing. Uh, because you can describe things to try and give yourself a, a, an advantage if you never got the higher stat between the two of them. But in some cases, we're just having fun describing what happens before the inevitable time when he cuts my head off. So well, you're you're also doing what um, the simplest role playing system. In existence is, which is what seven-year-olds bang and play pretend. Exactly. It's what children do when they play pretend, and we understand that. Yes, that's and that's, um, that's something. And really the arguments on the playground come around when there is not a shared understanding of the unspoken rules of the you know, what happens when I say bang, uh, and that's what a role-playing system is on some level intended to resolve. What, what, what troubles me is that we talked about like you know how simple if the game is too simple that can actually be the Apaches are inbound. Birds. Anyway, um, uh, uh, we, we just talked about how like you know if rules are too simple that can actually be a barrier yep. for some people, right? But you know there's other way too. Like I mean a lot of stories reaction to the fact that I'm not good with rules. Yeah. Uh, and like you know I played like. Like when I was growing up, we were playing a lot of champions, right? Kind of ironic, right? Um, and like I was never good at the rules, and I was constantly fudging die rolls. Sure. And I had my friend who was a rule Nazi who'd come in and actually run combat for me. Thank God, because he actually could do that. Um, but it's like but that that's a barrier too, right? Absolutely. Like two complex is obviously a barrier. Sure. Um, so is there like a magic spot in the middle? Hopefully. But uh, there's no one magic spot. That's you're always going to have a have a sort of if there's a taste barrier, there's a priority barrier. In fact, here's here's the single biggest priority barrier, and, that, and this is something that because it's tied so tightly to those seven year olds shooting each other on the playground. Is my priority to win, which is to say, well, either it really is is a way to say get the outcome I want, or is my priority to get the best outcome for everybody? There is not a right answer to that. But if you don't know which one you are answering, then your game is going to go right to hell. Because unless everyone at the table, because if everyone inside the table is out to win, that is fine as long as everyone knows that and everyone is prepared to lose. But if not, and this is, this is why, especially if you're talking collaborative stuff, 
saying, no, the priority is the best outcome. And that's what Cam and I would be doing if we were doing this sword fight out again. Our goal would be to make the sword fight cool, to let us each show off what we do well, and to resolve the scene in such a way that we both get to keep playing. If we had been doing that to win, then it would be, no, I'm going to kill it. And then that does not lead to more play. Um, and that's great. That's my bias. Uh, I'm a dirty hippie, and I'm, I'm kind of okay with that in that regard. Um, but the point of illustrating all these things, all these things we've been talking about, all these things that are our conversations and our exchanges and our shared understandings are things you don't have with the person you're writing your game for. So how are you going to think that? Run and hide? Um, well, that's when you're padding out your page count, that's where you're, you're setting um, expectations come in. You're, you're, you're setting, you're referencing uh, the hours and hours of things spent with whatever source material you're drawing inspiration from. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, that RPGs are a genre-driven product. Um, we do not make fantasy games and urban fantasy games and horror games and superhero games because there's something intrinsically better about gravitating towards those genres. We don't do it because those genres are the things that are going to sell gigantically. We do it because those are the things that have a shared understanding. And that is why the uh, Eclipse phase is a brilliant game, but it is always confusing when people come to the table for the first time because it does, as a genre, there's not a lot of shared experience for it. Shadowrun cheats and draws it from <laughs> multiple genres. <laughs> um, and that makes it much easier to come to the script. Genres are a shorthand we use to cheat these things. A eclipse phase would, would require us to have some kind of transhuman, iconic blockbuster movie property that we had all knew and had understood before. And that may yet happen. I mean, Blade Runner comes as close as you get, but that's about it, right? Right. And but that's and different. Actually, Blade Runner is horrible about yeah. that, is that you, you end up having fans grasping for a movie that's like the game. Yes. Yeah. Like, I'm so tired of telling people that Eclipse Space is Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is Eclipse Space Mass Effect? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, the, but the point is, I, I raised Eclipse Space as an example because we had a great game of it earlier today. Um, this is not a reflection on the quality of, of Eclipse Space or how compelling the material is, but it is about the fact that the communication is also part of the equation. And if you can glom onto a genre, that gets you a certain way. But not all the way because, okay, I'm making a supers game. Well, now you know how everything works, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the subcategorizations within genres are painful and possibly even more knife fighty than the, than the fights between genres. Um, then the next step is licensed products. That's another reason that licensed products work really well for RPGs. Not just because they they sell better and they tie into the greater market, but because the license whatever underlying product is the shared experience. Um, that can be a double-edged sword when you're talking something like Star Wars with full expanded universe and second-tier expanded universe and third-tier expanded universe, however they categorize all that stuff. Um, or even Star Trek where the, the scope of canon may be too large, but it totally worked for us with the Resident Files. It worked for Leverage, it worked for Smallville. Um, these are things where the canon can be sufficiently absorbed and learned. 
fact, it actually helped a lot in Marvel because Marvel the Roman everyone knows who these characters are. And it was much easier for someone to say, yeah, I want to play Spider-Man, then, well, I want to make my own guy. He's just like Spider-Man, but he's not really Spider. Well, or more problematically, I want to make Superman in your Marvel game. Well, yeah. But if you can have enough touchstones, those things are really easy to glom onto. That's kind of what we're getting at. Right. Uh, that's explicitly addressed. What's called accelerated, the accelerated is it re- because there are no firm stats. And how good are you at punching things? How good are you at driving cars? How, you know that sort of thing. You really need to have that discussion up front, even with that system as you know as defined as it is. You need to talk about what does it mean to say that I'm a ninja. In this, in our little shared universe, what can ninjas do? Can they can they vanish in a puff of smoke, or are they just really sneaky guys? Uh, that kind of conversation needs to be had up front. And ultimately, it is only when you cannot resolve it in any of these other ways, there's one solution still waiting for you, and that is the rules. If I can't explain it to you, if I can't get you to share understanding, if I can't get us on the same page in any other way, then I can get us to both follow the same rule. You open up the questions. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to keep talking. So somebody better freaking answer something. <laughs> Do it, Justin. I have a question for Cam. Um, or actually, oh, no. but uh, uh, you guys can apply the same question to you. Although I know Stephen. We can all answer it. Um, yeah, but for your own game. Uh, so what is a rule or a subsystem or something that you had at Marvel that you ended up jettisoning before you published? Or something you, not like that you changed, but something maybe that you had a special rule for that you just decided to <coughs> I think I actually added more after the first playtest round than took anything away. Or than some other game that you okay, well, My favorite example is always small Hollow, okay? Because this is the game that starts out having a character who had a bucket, different buckets of dice, right? Even the one that was all the stats, strength and ability and so on. We had a bucket of skills. We had a bucket of values, like duty and honor and glory and so on. We had a bucket of relationships. We had a bucket of assets, which were all kinds of things. Uh, the first playtesting we had of that before we were playing it, and I would give all his dice and so on, and then people would come back and say, we don't know why stats and skills are in this game. <laughs> because it's, it doesn't seem very important. Like, I mean, it's important for Clark to know that he's super strong, but that everybody else is just human, so why do we have strength? So it was suggested that maybe we take them out, and Josh and I were like, <laughs> no, that doesn't seem make sense. But Amanda and the other woman on our product said, yeah, take them out. We tried it and it works. That's the way it works. (laughs) Anyway, uh, removing that actually brought more focus to the values and and relationships in the game, which was the whole secret killer app of that game. But that's that's actually a great illustration of something. Let's just take it back briefly to what we do with your mechanics. Once you have a rule, try to reuse it as much as you can. Yeah. Um, Smallville is, and most of the Cortex Plus systems, are ultimately different ways to handle buckets of dice. Oh, do you have two buckets of dice, three buckets of dice, four buckets of dice? How many you pull from each one? Whatever. Those are all different ways of manipulating the same idea that you're going to roll some dice and have a value at the end of the day. Um, it does not have a weird secondary mechanic where there's also these tokens that you're keeping track of or 
a secondary modifier or, or anything like that, or merits clause or most important performance. It's only got enough rules to cover those things. Uh, so. Is this on? Okay. Um, in, when I was uh, writing Fate Accelerated, I was thinking back to uh, my experience running Dresden, realized that the different stress tracks, uh, if, if you know, Fate Accelerated has only one stress track, uh, whereas Dresden and uh, earlier iterations of Fate had several physical stress, mental stress, social stress, that kind of thing. And I really realized that at the table, as we were playing, it didn't matter. The type of stress, nobody cared. All that mattered was the pacing mechanic of stress. And so, yeah, ditch the other stress tracks. There's one type of stress, you're either stressed out or you're not. Um, and it's it's important as a designer, I think, to think about, yes, you can have these, these elegant bits of your system that work together really well, but at the table, when the GM has three things on her mind all at the same time, is it going to matter? Are the players going to notice? Think about that, because they really might not. And if you can ditch something that isn't really necessary, then, hey, that's worth thinking about. Every mechanic, every mechanic needs to fight for its life. That, that's, that's, I mean, if we're going to really boil this down to one sentence, that's what we're saying here. So once you've got that first rule, add rules, please. Make your game bigger, make it more exciting, make it do all the more things. But every time you add something to it, make sure it has a damn good reason to be there. Yeah. What is it doing? This is a good question. What are you in here for? I mean, it can, it can be odd when you go through a game and question that, which mechanic you're looking at. You might just say, why are you here? And the mechanic's like, I'm here because people like encumbrance. And you say, no, 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 they hate that. Take that to the curb. Okay, next. And eventually you get to the level of complexity and the level of rules you really want because the ones you didn't really need aren't there anymore. And, uh, and there's, this is sort of the reverse of the theory of starting from the block of marble and cutting away everything that's not the statue. Uh, we're saying start from there, from one Lego and only add more if you've got a really good reason to put them on. Um, either approach probably works, but the underlying question why what you have is there is the kind of essential part. Has anyone had that experience where they say, or heard someone say, we had a really great time playing D&D last night and we never picked up the dice? <laughs> there are two things I take away from that one. One is you weren't really playing D&D, you were just having a great you know, improv RPG session. And the second one is, yes, you were playing D&D, but for your reasons and your, your sort of group, that rule set is only there to support you when it needs to be there. So you can fight amongst yourselves as to which one is true. Well, that gets, that gets into the question of um, is D&D more than just the dice mechanics and rolling to hit and what's the initiative and, and what spell that I cast? Um, it's how much of setting is baked into the rules. And I suppose that's a definitional argument that may or may not be interesting. No, that's that's Barnes. Yeah, exactly. It's, that's not a definitional argument. Your rules are, are, your rules are setting. I mean, to a greater and lesser extent, you are saying when you put in a rule, this is how the world works that I'm running this game in. Additionally, if you're writing fiddly rules, if you're writing spells, if you're writing equipment lists and whatnot, and you are not using that to say something about the world, you are basically pissing away an opportunity. 
So this is one more case of if you're going to put something in there, not only make sure it's worth being there, make sure it's doing its job. Make sure it's bearing weight. The equipment list in D&D is unfortunately a little bit flat. And basically, what it says to you is, this game is taking place in historical Europe. <laughs> our, our art is suggesting that, that, it, that it might be more diverse, and that's wonderful, but the weapon list is what you get made with, and that's... Yeah, I just, I'm off point out, it's really interesting that we're going through with Dawning Star, which was originally a, it's a sci-fi setting that we did for D20, and now we're redoing it for Fate. And so in D20, we have this huge equipment list with the stat lines going across with the spreadsheet with all the different parameters, and as we're doing it now for Fate, we don't have a table. Each one gets a paragraph that has cool little bits in them. There's maybe like an aspect right. in there about the world. You know, so right. If this didn't have it's a the mechanic, same setting, but it's totally different. Exactly. If, the, if this didn't have a mechanic, would you be talking about it? Is it interesting enough to talk right. about? Well, that's why we don't have an entry for heavy stick. Shared set of assumptions. Rices is Rices uses cliches and uses the word cliches very intentionally because they are super broad. It's a ninja. It's a barbarian. It's a pastry chef. It's not. There's not a lot of nuance in that game. And if nuance is what you want, that's where it's going to fall down. The famous pastry chef uh, cliche that you will hear. Cowboy about. ninja diplomat. Oh, that's right. Mom, anybody? Come on. Yep. It's, uh, I keep going back to accelerating because that's what I, that's what I, where I live these days. Uh, I'm running Star Wars Fate Accelerated for my kids and, and my wife uh, right now at home. And in Star Wars, I said, you know, right up front, what can everybody do? And everybody can shoot blasters, everybody can drive speeders, everybody can operate a data pad, everybody knows what a comlink is. That's just the shared assumption. Uh, the rules don't say that anywhere. There's no rule for shooting blasters. It's just, you know, the, they accelerate it as it is. And it's Star Wars, so you've right, got that. Right, and there's, yeah. And so if you're going to play Rises, well, you know, have that talk about what are, you know, where are we? What are we doing? And, and get that shared assumption down. And that's probably true for any minimal system like that. And I think that's a rule that's missing. Uh, I see what you're saying. Uh, you're suggesting that they ought to say, at least take a sentence and say that. Yes, yes, just one sentence. Right. Sure. Well, and actually, this is an interesting point to contrast with warp. Um, warp premise the warp premise is basically if you don't have a skill, you roll two dice. Unless you don't roll anything at all. Um, and the idea is the two dice are what anyone can do. But anyone is left defined very vaguely. And since it's a, you know, Game written by middle-aged American men from the Midwest. That's kind of what they're thinking of when they say it. What can middle-aged white men do? Yes, everything, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, so, so the theory is, so you won't roll your two dice for neurosurgery or something like that. Um, but how much time do you spend elaborating that? Because the reality is there will always be edge cases if you look closely enough. Uh, I can probably roll for first aid. I might be able to roll to set a bone. Uh, I probably shouldn't roll for surgery. 
and, but that's but that's actually good. It's one of the things that says establish it. So fine, establish it in broad strokes. Say, all right, those two dice are the two American dice, and maybe you hack the game to say that you need to have a core descriptor that you are an American, that you're an American dude, that you're uh, that you're uh, a woman from Japan, and maybe those won't have profound differences. A hell of a big difference because of the language you probably speak. Um, but maybe it's worth making that difference. Or maybe it's not. Maybe you're just going to assume everyone's from America because, hey, America. <laughs> <laughs> and we mean Canada, too, because America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were very sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Canadian sorry. <laughs> Any other questions? We'll keep happily bouncing around. So, managing players' expectations and mechanics. I have been yes. in situations where I have said, oh, this is a <clears throat> this is a very elegant system that goes away a lot of stuff that we are not actually using. But then the players are like, no, but then it's not really the game it should be. I want my equipment list. Yeah, well, if they want their equipment list, then you need to identify why they want their equipment list. And if they want their equipment list because I want my equipment list, then you need to decide if you want to deal with that. <laughs> if they want their equipment list because, and for some reason this keeps coming up this con, if they want their equipment list because they are the problem-solving preparation player who wants to really pay attention to their resources and have been smart enough to prepare for problems, and that's where their fun is. This is the mantra of the OSI. We keep hearing that. It is. Then maybe you need a freaking equipment list. Um, but and ultimately, the equipment list is just words on your character sheet that don't have any mechanical significance because you haven't given them any, right? Well, well, there's the rub. Uh, mechanic, mechanical significance is kind of a fuzzy thing at that point. It's like, well, it's got fictional significance. Oh, the yeah. fact is you don't have to... Well, here's the thing. If, I, if I've if i got the tool that means I don't have to roll the dice, mm -hmm. has that had a mechanical impact? Well, do you have an uh, Elo's kit? Sure. You're looking at the medicine Yes, skill. exactly. Oh, that's a terrible thing, yes. Um, 5e, insider, inside baseball for anyone, 5e, medicine skill does not actually do anything. You just have to have a healer's kit, and you don't need to have the skill. So once you've got a healer's kit, you can do everything the medicine skill does. This is something they will presumably errata at some point. Anyway, but you're right, because the, the, and this is kind of why I'm talking about rules, not just game mechanics, right? Yeah. I mean, having a list of equipment is a rule, in a way. It's part of a procedure. It's a fictional edition. You know, it's the same as your name on the sheet. I mean, people can refer to you by Clarence, but if your name is not Clarence, then you can just play out someone ignoring you. You know, there's there's a very the who if you choose not to decide you still have made a choice here, but the point at which you don't engage the mechanics is still on some level a mechanical decision. Um, and yeah, that's an infinite rabbit hole if you really look at it too closely. But practically speaking, that's why things like equipment lists and backgrounds and whatnot are as much part of the game as they are part of the setting. But bottom line, yeah, if, find out why they want something like the quick list, and then then see what meshes with that. And if their answer is habit, then just see if you can try without. Or if the answer is maybe something else, like they, they just want to don't want to end up in a position where they're getting screwed because they forgot something, then offer them a different system to control them. There are <laughs> systems out there that offer preparation scores. 
can roll against to see if you have something. Or there are systems that don't give a crap and just say you probably have it. Um, figure out which one solves their problem. Yeah, um, Gumshu has preparedness, for example. What is Donjun? Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring up something interesting, and that is there's a, uh, a game called Chronicle Fidalis by Jeremy Keller, which is extremely cool. It's a survival latest game. It is fairly simple, but not too simple, right? Yeah. One of the things that about it that I think can be applied to a very light rule system is the backgrounds uh, mechanic in this game. Backgrounds doesn't mean what you think it is here. It means this is a, something about my character's background or past history that I do not want brought up in the game because it's not fun. Like, it's not that it's insignificant. You might put down background as former slave trader. This means, hey, GM, I don't want to talk about slave trading in this game, so I'm just going to put former slave trader here in background so we know, oh, don't speak about it again, thank you very much. And yeah, that, that elegantly solves a problem that is often, and this is totally a tangent, but what the hell is like, um, this, this elegantly solves a problem that is often brought up when you rank a skill super, super high on your character sheet. When you do that, you are either communicating to the character, like let's say it's your sword fighting skill. I want to get in a lot of sword fights, or you're communicating to the character, the GM, I want to be so good at sword fighting that I never have to worry about any goddamn sword fights. Okay. And the problem is, is it's the same signal. Uh, if you don't actually talk to the GM, it gets problematic when it gets confused. Uh, backgrounds are a slightly more elegant path to that. Yeah. I, I almost see a character sheet in a simple sort of a Waffle Rice's version of the game where we have one trait which is called your master skill, and you don't roll dice for that. You just do it. And we will adjudicate between the person who has a skill and number on it and the person who has that master version of it by just saying that the master guy beats you. Sure, I mean, Fate has that too, and Fate, to some extent, there are lots of scenarios where, like, oh, you've got that aspect. So, yeah. you're a college professor, of course, you have whiteboard markers. Um, you know, <laughs> roll through it. <laughs> yes. No, do you have an inventory list? <laughs> <laughs> Any more questions about playing like? Uh, what about presenting optional rules? I'm specifically um, thinking about uh, what GURPS is viewed as a very crunchy, very rules-heavy system, but a lot of that is optional material. And I think the public perception is that it's not optional, and maybe that's because the game doesn't present it optionally enough. GURPS is a weird one because it, uh, it presents its default in the middle of the spectrum of crunchiness, which is big enough that that middle point is crunchy. Right. There are lighter versions of GURPS. Like GURPS light? Yes, but they are also presented as the exception. So that is a little bit weird, and GURPS suffers for it. I've got no problem with modular add-ons. Modular add-ons are awesome. They, they're one of the best things in the world you can do. In fact, they're one of the great reasons to start with a very simple system and say, I'm right. We're doing races. And here are rules for playing Dragon Blood and Exalted. I see a copy of the uh, page report there. Um, one of who, the who wrote that, that game? Uh, Brian Edgar. Yeah, anyone yeah, else? Right. Anyone else? Clark. Um, what? what? Clark, Clark who? Uh, Valentine. One You're kidding! <laughs> this Clark Valentine? Um, this amazing and talented Clark Valentine? <laughs> this is what we call a callback. He's <laughs> <laughs> reincorporating. Um, one of the things I wanted to include there uh, that there just wasn't space or time to play test or anything was um, uh, a box text of dueling rules. 
I still want to do. How do you do a a one on one sword duel in fate and make it fun? Um, Have you I, answered this question? Not yet, but I'm going to be working on it. I, I, but that's like I think a good, good example of I think a, a modular add-on that. Okay, if you're fighting a bunch of orcs or whatever, you wouldn't be engaging that. You'd just be doing however combat normally works. Um, but you know, in the aha, you know, my my rival has arrived, and I salute you, and we shall now duel. Uh, I think would be fantastic for a setting like that. Um, oh, I though that that does lead to an important matter. There is nothing in the world as easy to make as an awesome combat system for two people fighting. That dies horribly when a third person shows up. <laughs> yep. Don't make that mistake. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm not sure where I was going. With that. I just thought, <laughs> yes, that's, uh, I'm, I'm very positive on, on modular add-ons that maybe even only apply to certain players in the game because they're the only ones who are interested. In it. I, I think that's a good. Uh, just to clarify, I think that's a good example because it's very clearly optional. It's very clearly a specific situation. Yeah, Stephen already told us this, but what's your favorite super crunchy system? Oh, Rollmaster. <laughs> I lived and breathed Rollmaster for years. That is the first game I hacked a whole lot about. I still think it's got the best magic system I've ever seen anywhere, including ours. Um, I love it, love it, love it to death, and it's not practical to play even a little bit. I would just add that I've played a lot of Champions of Hero too, and it's not quite as crunchy per se, but I, I have deep abiding love for Traveler. It just won't go away. Um, yeah, I, the thrills of Caregen are really there. No, they are. It's so dangerous. Yep. Uh, oh, no, I, yeah. I had to get crushed under rocks. I would say probably RuneQuest. Um, the current one, RuneQuest 6, is a button, basically the size of a bus. Um, it is not super crunchy, complicated. Well, it is to a lot of people nowadays, but it's got the root system of games like Call of Cthulhu in it and Pendragon and a lot of the games I really like a lot. And I still one day want to just run RuneQuest uh, as a campaign because it's really cool. It's not as meaty as Rollmaster, but it does have the whole thing where you can chop your fingers off and your legs off and your head off one by one, and, and it has ducks in it. <laughs> ducks are cool. Grand. Uh, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say uh, Decipher's Lord of the Rings from a few years back, which was this close to being really cool, but it just wasn't quite made. And I really wanted it to be, uh, be awesome, and I think it could be with a little work, but I just don't have the brain time or energy for it anymore. Or, or the lawyer. Or yeah. the, well. <coughs> it, it would not solve the problem you have at the moment. And this one is a total free for all. If it's not clear, we're very tired. So, you can ask totally crazy questions here, right? Uh, so without answering this game, there were little comments to give the implication that the really big crunchy systems are trending towards the past, and that the, the preference is increasing. No, we're trending towards old. <laughs> um, it, I do not play Rollmaster for much the same reason I no longer play Axis and Allies. Uh, 
uh, I do not have eight hours to commit to, to going from beginning to end. Uh, Rule Master requires a lot of work and a lot of prep and a lot of time at the table to get the same effect that I can get from a smaller game. And time, as I get older, I have kids, uh, time is much more critical to me. So I cannot afford the luxuries of crunch. It's why I don't play MMOs as well. <laughs> if I wanted to play an MMO, I would probably have to be, uh, end up being divorced and have no kids. <laughs> and no work in my Hero system is still pretty popular. I mean, they do, uh, the, the, the guys who run IPR still do a good business with, with Hero system stuff, and that's, that's pretty darn crunchy, I think. I would call it that, anyway. I don't know. Um, at, 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 no at a tart, Hero is pretty simple. You know, I, you're not the only person to say that. But Probably heard the it only there. people who say it are people who have internalized it to a sufficient extent that it becomes a language. I like getting comments with Darren. Darren wants to tell you the talent amazing it is and how simple it is. Now it's Carl Rigner, Rigney, same way. You just um, roll two dice, but she's a three dice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But it's combat, but it's the killer in here. As in 12 seconds. It's the 12 seconds that never ended. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends on how much time you sit and let people take their option. I mean, the length of time a combat takes in Hero depends upon the skill of the GM. And the players. And, and I, I would say that the GM controls the players. Yeah. We also have no time in our lives to play advanced squad leader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really very simple at its core. No one else may care about this, but I kind of have to know, how did you put Dragonblooded in Crisis? Um, actually, Google can answer that question for me. I, I'm not the one who did that hack. But it's uh, actually, you know what? I think technically they might have hacked Wheel of Fate, which is a little awesome. side thing I did. Yeah, and it's a little side thing I did that's basically half a warp of fate. Um, and I should really license it as I put so it's back out of the public domain. Um, but if you do it, yeah, if you do it with Google for Dragon Blood and Wheel of Fate, um, you should be able to find it. I forget who did it. It was someone really cool. <laughs> was it Jonathan Walton? Yeah, it was someone like that. Yeah. Well, John Harper wasn't. No, no, it would be much, much. The graphic design would be very memorable. <laughs> <if> it's <was> John Harper. <laughs> so when does the tempo system come here? Go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's so polite. <laughs> I'm honestly at, at the point where I decide that it's either no longer worth the trouble and just release what I've got, or I become employed. So we have all the time necessary to finish writing it. Tempo is for everyone else sort of a hack that exists somewhere between fate and the apocalypse engine. Uh, they use three d six rather than two d six. There's some stuff on my blog that's shown at the various points, and uh, I've done a run a Cold War game, the initial version of it, an Ambery game. So if you feel like stalking me, you can find most of it, but don't bother. It still has too many rough edges. Are we kind of stealing it and what someone? Yeah, but I don't care since I steal from everything and everyone else steals from everything. So theft, that is the topic that we should be talking about. <laughs> Just cite it, you'll be fine. Right. So we are about at time. Fantastic. Any last? All right, awesome. We have
And apologies for the rambling, but this has been a lot of fun. <laughs>